0: He is one of our own, uh, and uh, we are just honored that, that God is using him in such a great way. So would you welcome him as he comes to share the Word of God and the message that the Lord has laid upon his heart today? Hey Amen. Good morning. I was welcomed in such a gracious way this morning when I walked in. Pastor Weaver said, oh, Lord, if I'd have known you were here, I'd stayed home and watch somebody on TV. And Wayne Spraker said, well, I'm going to get breakfast. So it's always good to be affirmed and made to feel good. Hey, it is good to be in the house of the Lord, and I do appreciate my family that comes to church every two years. So uh, they know who they are. And uh, I've been praying since the last time I was here. Uh, So our last few visits here have not been the most fun visits, right? Uh, We came... Two years ago in May to say farewell to my dad here. And then we came uh, about two and a half months ago to say farewell to mom here. And uh, so, you know, we're glad to be back in a different different kind of atmosphere rather than saying farewell to somebody. But the last time I was here on a Sunday, I noticed how introverted and withdrawn and quiet Tony was. And I've been praying about that, and i see my prayers have worked. So anyway, um, he's come out of his shell, so we're excited about that. Thank you, Tony, for all you do. Hey, I want to read a verse of scripture to you and, uh, and then share some thoughts with you this morning. Thanks so much for your time, your attention. In Exodus chapter 7 and verse 14, a verse of scripture that all of us have heard at various points in our life. I think the Israelites have been held captive for now 400 years in Egypt and they are being abused on a daily basis. They're having to uh, get the straw in order to make the brick. They're not being fed well. They're being physically abused by the ones who are over them. And in Exodus chapter 7, God speaks out loud to Moses, and he says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their groans, and I have come down to deliver them. Come here now. I am going to send you to Egypt. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for this time together and for your word. Thanks for friends and family in this house, Father. This is about as comfortable a place as I could ever speak. Folks here that have known me since I was a child, folks that I've known all of my life, and to see their legacy and to experience watching them as they served you and modeled to me how to do that, I'm honored and humbled to be able to stand with them today and to share a little bit. Open our hearts and minds to all that you have for us in Christ's name. So God looks down and he sees the oppression of his people and he hears their cries and he says that out loud. I've I've seen their oppression. I've heard their groans. You know, not a lot has changed in 6,000 years, right? There are people still in oppression everywhere. There are still people in trouble everywhere. There are still people groaning in crisis everywhere. There is depravity in the land. There is destruction in the land. Pastors already referred to tragedies that have taken place over the last 48 hours. All around us, in every community, in every part of the world, something's broken and something's wrong. Right, and, and so we we talk about this. Ryan and I have some conversation about this. I I've, I've chosen years ago. I don't watch the news. I don't follow politics. I'm I'm an Andy Griffith and Atlanta Braves fan, and that's all I do. So anyway, and uh, and I'm and, and somebody said, well, you're not more holy than me. I said, well, I know I'm just more holy. So anyway, it's just however you look at it, right. But Rhonda will say, she'll go, man, the world's in trouble, man, this, man, that. And I go, and and I'm not being dismissive, and I'm not being negative. I go, I know, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right? It's what the Scripture tells us. We're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray for redemption. We're going to pray for salvation. And we're going to pray for deliverance. And thank the Lord we're going to see that because there will be an end day's revival. But in the middle of that, destruction's coming. It's a broken society. We live in a broken world. When Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, took the fruit of the tree, brokenness began, and brokenness will be here until Jesus returns, right? And so we, we have to understand that. So it's not a matter of whether or not we live inside a broken society, it's a matter of what we do about the broken society in which we live. There are people in trouble everywhere, there are cities in crisis everywhere. The good news about all of that is just as God saw the Israelites and said, I have seen their affliction and I've heard their cry. He He sees every one of us in our moments of crisis as well. It it, it still flabbergasts me to try to understand how God Almighty in His divine providence rules the world and yet rules my heart, right? He rules the world and sets everything into motion, and yet He is aware of every tear I cry, every tear I shed and every tear you shed, every pain we feel, every sorrow we experience, He is aware of that and walks through that. He is a very personal God with us, so He sees and He hears them all. And we pray to God to deliver them and set them free, right? And and this is where I want us to think a little bit about this morning. As we look at society, we look at brokenness, we hear about the stories in our community, your community here in Pulaski County, and and we hear about destruction and depravity and things that are happening. And we often go to prayer, which is a good thing to do, right? And so we pray for those individuals. And, And sometimes we weep over the situations in the world in which we live. And there might even be times when we fast about that. I shook hands with Derby Turpin this morning. He hadn't been fast about anything, but anyway. <laughs> see, see, that's not appropriate right there. I apologize. So, anyway. <laughs> so, so we, we, we weep, we fast, we pray. You know, One of the passages of Scripture that Ron and I, that we dove into really heavily when we began City Refuge was in the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah says, I inquired of my friend. Ann and an eye about the condition of my hometown of Jerusalem, and he said to me that the walls thereof had been destroyed, and the gates had been burned with fire, and that the inhabitants of there had been taken captive. And Nehemiah said, and when I heard these words, I sat down, and I wept, and I fasted, and I prayed for many days. And those are all appropriate things when we hear about the crisis in society. We we should weep and fast and pray, but often that's where the church stops, unfortunately. So we weep, we fast, and we pray, but we weep and fast and pray for somebody else to go and take care of those in crisis. We weep and fast and pray and hope that an organization or a group or a church or the government would care for those. We want it to happen. We have good intentions. We just don't want to be involved in the happening. We want to be praying for those and sending those and doing Nehemiah says that after he got finished weeping and fasting and praying, he went before the king in chapter 2. And the king says, why is your face so downcast? I've never seen you like this before. Nehemiah told him the story. And the king said, what would you have me do? And Nehemiah said, if it pleased the king, send me. It's my hometown. That's where I grew up. Those walls protected me. Those gates protected me. It's my friends and family who've been taken captive. Send me. I don't have any experience at rebuilding walls. I'm not an iron mason to rehang gates. I don't know how to go to war, but I do know that those are my friends and my family, and I'll do whatever's necessary. If you will help me, I will go. And I think that this morning, Holy Spirit is calling us, the sons and daughters of Yahweh, to look around and find the broken, the weary, the worn out, the tired, the destitute, and to weep and fast and pray and then say to the king, If it pleases you, send me. If you'll help me, I'll go. I might not know what I'm doing, but if you'll help me, I'll go anyway. And so he's talking to Moses, and he says to Moses, and Moses knows the whole situation. You know that 40 years ago he left there in a hurry after he killed an Egyptian, been hanging out with stinky sheep for 40 years. And God shows up and says, "I've seen all your friends. I know what's going on. I've seen your family. I'm gonna take care of my Moses." Woo And God goes, "Oh yeah, come over here. I'm sending you to go take care of it." And Moses goes, "Not gonna happen, Junior. Right? I'm not going." It's not my assignment. I don't know how to talk. I can't do it. And God goes, no, you're going to go. This is what has to happen. Moses knew they were in trouble, and now he heard God. He certainly did not expect to be the one chosen and sent. So here's a little bit of our story. 27 years ago, I left Pulaski Church of God as youth pastor. It was 27 years ago, first week of September, right? And uh, and Rhonda's still mad at me. So anyway, um, when we left, we had just bought our first home over on 6th Street, and Cassie was... Not quite three, and Kelsey was one, and uh, and and Charlie, Rhonda's dad had come in and put up wallpaper in in the nursery for Kelsey, and we hadn't even finished paying him for it yet, right? And and I got a phone call one day. I was sitting in the office over here, and and I got a phone call, and it was from a pastor in Atlanta, and he goes, "Hey." Would you like to come be my youth pastor? And I go, well, I got a job. I like where I am. Things are good here. We're having a good time. And he goes, well, he said, I prayed about it, and you're my first choice. And I've, I've accused him many times since of lying because he'd called six other people before he called me. So I was his first seventh choice is the way it was, right? And so he says, we well, you come to Atlanta? And I said, no, I, we're, we're good. And he says, well, I'm going to meet with my counsel tomorrow night. Please call me by noon tomorrow and let me know your answer. And I said, well, we like where we are. We're staying. And I called Rhonda. She was at work down in afternoon. I called Rhonda and I said, hey, Daryl called from Atlanta and invited us to come down to be youth pastor. And she said, well, we're not going, right? And I said, well, of course not. Right? It was just this conversation. And as I hung up the phone, I didn't hear God say go. It's like I just heard a voice that said, why not? He didn't say go, he didn't say this is my will, my destiny, he didn't say any of that. It's just like I just heard, well, why not? And my, uh, my brother Jeff, I called him, and it didn't look like he made church after two years, but anyway, uh, he pastors his own church. So uh, I called Jeff, and I go, you know, they call me, they want me to come down, and he's listening, and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I just want to do the will of God, right? It's the phrase we use, and Jeff goes, I wish you'd shut up. And I go, what is that? And he goes, you are the will of God. He goes, you're born again. He saved you. You're his son. Do stuff. He said, if you want to go, go. And if you don't, don't. He said, just quit trying to be all spiritual with us. Just do whatever you want to do. And I'm like, all right. So I hung up, and I just said, we're going. And I didn't really even know why. Pastor, I didn't know why. So Rhonda got home that evening, and I said, well, we're moving to Atlanta. She said, have fun. I'll visit you on the weekends. <laughs> Not coming. And I said, well, no, I remember something where you said, like, to death do us part, blah, 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 and that whole wedding thing. And she's like, all right, shoot. So anyway, so we packed up, and, and we got all the truck loaded, and Randy and Ruby helped drive. Randy drove, Randy drove our truck. Randy Andrews drove my U-Haul through Atlanta, dear Lord. But anyway, I can barely see you over the wheel. But I uh, <laughs> had to give him a little booster seat. Um, so, so we, and Rhonda, I went, tried to find her. We we're ready to leave. The truck's loaded. We got the car packed. I'm trying to find Rhonda. And she was in the closet in Kelsey's bedroom, sitting in the floor crying because she didn't want to leave, right? She didn't want to go, right? It wasn't like we had this big plan. Sometimes God breaks your heart so he can build his kingdom. Man, that's not a lesson we like to learn. Sometimes he breaks your heart so he can build your kingdom, build his kingdom. And so we moved and we got there. And and I just and, and this has been said out loud, the pastor of the church I went to and the people there. We got there. We hated it. It was just it was terrible. They had gone through two church splits and they didn't like any preachers, right? And 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 especially didn't like me, and I didn't particularly like them either. And neither one of us hid that very well. And so uh so the first several months, I'm like, what in the world are we doing here? She would cry, I'd cry, and we're like, why are we here? We want to go back home. And and the pastor and his wife, Marsha, Daryl Marsha, they would call us over to their, they would invite us over to lunch on Sundays after church, and we'd have lunch together, and they would send their kids to take our kids to go play. And we'd sit and after after we'd eat, Daryl would look at him and go, just don't leave yet. Just don't leave yet. Just stay with me for a minute. Stay with me for a minute. And so we stayed, and the Lord started to bless, and things started to happen, and we ended up serving there five years, and out of that, we were invited to go downtown to close this little church and sell the property in the inner city, right? And so when I talked to Rhonda about that, I said, hey, we've been invited to go downtown. She said, fine, right? We were living in a great house in the suburbs, great schools for the kids. We had the four girls at the time. Carly hadn't been born yet. Life was wonderful, and they invited me to go down for six months, and she said, that's fine, that we can still stay in our house. We can still keep the kids in the school. We can still do this and this. And I would just go down on Sundays and preach and then come back, and we'd wrap everything up. And so it didn't sound like that big a deal, right? Just go do it. Well, she started coming with me to church, and, and I won't tell the whole story. Many of you have heard it. I know some of you haven't, but we went down on our fifth or sixth Sunday. This young lady walks in and stood out in the crowd. It was a small crowd, and she stood out. She looked pretty rough, and at the end of service, she just walked down the aisles, and she was the tears streaming down her face, and she took me by the hands, and she said, and her words were, I've been hooking and stripping 14 years. Can you help me? And her answer was yes, right? And we led her to Jesus that morning. It was a wonderful experience, and I thought, well, how cool is this? While we're closing and selling, people are still coming to Christ. This is a good thing, Right? But the problem was, and this sounds contradictory, she came back to church the next Sunday. It's always good when people get saved and then come back, isn't it? Do you like that? Anyway, she came back and she brought Bill with her. He was a 52-year-old alcoholic, had been in church in 30 years and was one of her paying customers. She had been paying this woman for sex and she says, no more and I found something you need. Come go to church with me. And he did. And he said on the second row, I don't know exactly what's wrong with this section right here, Pastor. You might want to anoint this (laughs) during the week. They're afraid to sit too new year, I think, too new to you. But anyway, he sat right there in that empty second seat. And, uh, and we started singing that little chorus, I need you more, more than yesterday, more than words can say. And five minutes in, this man falls out in the floor and starts wailing out loud and won't stop. So I finally go down and I say, can I help you? And he goes, well, I think I need Jesus. And I said, well, we usually do that at the end of service, right? We've got a plan. I need to invite you to Jesus. And he's like, no, I want him now. And I'm like, shoot, okay, well, we just went ahead, right? And for weeks, we would show up on Sunday and somebody new in crisis would be there. Another drug addict, another alcoholic, another homeless person, another prostitute. Somebody that just got released from jail. Somebody was running from jail. They would just show up and we're like... Man, and they would get saved, and they would get, start to work on life. And our offering bucket over the years has had loaded guns and heroin rigs and crack pipes and bags of weed and tasers in it when people are turning their life around. And, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to call anybody out, but if you can't be arrested for your offering bucket, you're probably not doing kingdom work. That's just my opinion. say. So anyway. And Ron and I kept looking around going, what is God doing? We wanted our city to be healed. We wanted our city to be delivered. We wanted our city to be set free, but we wanted to pray and weep and fast, and we wanted somebody else to go. And about four months into that six-month assignment, I walk in on a Sunday, and the church is nearly full of people in crisis, and I looked at Ron, and I said, we've been conned by God, woman. I just just wasn't spiritual enough. If I'd heard in prayer that he wanted me to go downtown, I would have said no. I just wasn't that spiritual. He had to set me up. He had to take me out of here, this comfortable environment, and take me to Pleasantdale Church for five years to get me ready to take me downtown. Where, When I got downtown and we got deep into what we're doing now, that's what I was created for. What I do right now was what I was born to do. It's what I was created to do. And I would never have chosen it on my own. Because it didn't fit any dream or any agenda or any plan that I had for my life. And it's good when we can come to a place in our life where we decide that his plan for us is better than our plan for us. When his dream for us is better than our dream for us. When his vision for us is better than our own vision for ourselves, right? And so we resigned our position, and we started pastoring a little church, and we started City of Refuge. And, and, and it's an amazing thing that Rhonda called me one morning a few months later, and she was out of her quiet time or prayer time in the morning, and she said, if we're really going to impact a city, we've got to go to the city. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Right? It's one thing to drive in and then drive back home. It's another thing to move into the neighborhood. John chapter 2, one of my favorite verses of Scripture says, And the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And Rhonda said we got to be flesh and move in. And so we moved into the third floor of that 65-year-old church building with the girls. Carly was born while we lived there. And you know the fun stories. We had broken in two 34 times and three vehicles stolen in Superior Court with guys that tried to kill me. And it was just more fun than we'd ever had in church before. We just didn't have any elders meetings about the color of the carpet or the music too loud or traditional or contemporary like you didn't get shot, I didn't get shot, hallelujah to the lamb. Right. And amazing stuff started to happen as we began to understand that this was now our call. He was saying to us, like he said to Moses, come over here now. I'm going to send you to the city. Come over here now, he says to Moses. Not tomorrow Not next week, not when you feel better prepared. Come over here now, I'm going to send you to the city. So over here now, when you and I respond to the over here now, it's an amazing thing that begins to happen. We start to see incredible life transformation, radical life shift, incredible deliverances, things happen. If we had not said yes to come over here now, the stories and the experiences we would have missed are just so dramatic. We would have never met Tenny if we had not come over here now, whose husband died and she had lived a good life until that point, but when her husband died and she fell into depression and started drinking and then using drugs and then became a dealer and then became a madam prostituting other women in our community for years and years and years until she says, I woke up one day and realized this was going to be the death of me. And she called 911 on herself. She called the cops and said, I'll be on the porch. Come pick me up. And the cops showed up at her porch, and she had all her guns laid out on the porch. All the drugs and drug paraphernalia was laid out on the porch. She had everything laid out. The cops walked up and said, who who are we here to arrest? And she said, me. And they said, well, this is the easiest assignment we've ever had. They picked up all her stuff, arrested her, took her to court, and the judge sentenced her to city of refuge. Pretty cool deal when you get Some of them said it's worse being sentenced to Bruce and going to jail but it doesn't really matter to me at least we get them right And so he sent his Tenny to us, and we are now, 11 years later, Tenny is on our staff working and loving and showing the the face of Jesus Christ every day in our anti-trafficking program, House of Cherith, where she stays up from midnight to 8 a.m. every night to protect those that have been rescued from the vile, disgusting act of sex trafficking and exploitation, and she is a revelation of the heart and the mind and the spirit of God, because when God said, come over here now, we went over here now and then he said to Tenny come over here now and she came over here and now she has the opportunity to say come over here now to over 750 women who've lived in our anti-trafficking program we would have missed the story if we had stayed where we were if we had stayed where we were, we would have missed the opportunity to meet Rufus. Rufus was sexually molested by his uncle when he was seven, molested for years by his uncles and others in his family, started using drugs, shot heroin at the first time when he was 12, was an adult male homosexual prostitute for 25 years in the bluff, the toughest neighborhood in Atlanta. We walked with Rufus for 14 years while he was disobedient and rebellious and living in the, de- in the depravity of the world. When he was broke, we gave him a little money. When he was hungry, we gave him some food. When he ran out of clothes, we gave him some clothes. When he needed somewhere to sleep after he'd been beaten up by a John, we gave him somewhere to sleep. When he cussed us out, we told him, we'll be back tomorrow when you're sober, and we know you're going to be nicer then. When he fussed about the chili was too spicy, we said, well, go down there and put some water in it and cool it down a little bit. We walked with him for 14 years, and six years ago, Rufus said, I'm ready. called Steve Grimes on my staff, said, come pick me up, and I'll never go back. And we went and picked him up, and he's never gone back. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Clean of drugs and alcohol. alcohol walked out of the lifestyle. Sets on the second row every Sunday morning. This morning while we're here, he's sitting right there. He's clapping loud. He's waving his little handkerchief. He's singing off tune, and he's smiling at everybody. And he is a born-again son of the living God because we said yes when God said, come over here now. We would have missed the stories, Lori was just walking down the sidewalk minding her own business by Maddox Park in our neighborhood, just walking down the sidewalk to her house. And three men grabbed her and drugged her into the park and assaulted her and raped her multiple times. And she went into this deep, dark place. She, she, she excluded or secluded everybody from her and she went to this dark place and checked out on life dark, wouldn't speak, wouldn't talk to anybody, eyes to the ground, no hope, no life, no spark. And somebody found her, and they said, you got to come over to City Refuge and, and go in the House of charity." And we brought her in. Kelsey runs a program. We brought her in the House of charity. And literally, I'm not exaggerating, she would not speak. She would not talk. She would not look at you. She certainly would not look at a man. She certainly would not speak to a man. Has her notebook, and she's an incredible artist, and she would just write down things all day long the deep, dark things in her heart, and she would draw pictures, and she would sit in our worship service for two or three years, she sat on the back, and she would never look up, and she wouldn't stand up during worship, and she wouldn't embrace the things of God, but she was afraid to go outside of our gates, so she stayed. God had said, come on over now, Bruce and Rhonda and the 5Ks and and the sons and those that are with us now and all of our team, and then she invited others to come to house here, and she didn't know it, but God had said to Lori, come on over now. And about seven or eight months ago, I was walking our house on campus. We have our living, our, our house on inside of the City Refuge. And I was walking out, into the, out of the door of our house, and I heard a noise to my right. There's a set of double glass doors coming out the hallway. And as I walked out, I noticed that door open, and I turned and I looked, and Lori was coming out of the door as I was coming out of my door. And I just turned and looked at her, and she turned and looked at me and smiled and said, Good afternoon, Pastor Bruce. And she hadn't spoken to me in almost three years. And good afternoon, Pastor Bruce, was all I needed to do what I do for the next ten years. I, I just needed one smile, Fred. I just needed one acknowledgement. I just need one nod of the head. And now Lori knows that Jesus loves her. And we three months ago, we hired Lori. And now Lori works for us. And she runs all of our laundry facility on campus. And you walk into her space that she now has adopted as her own. You walk in and she'll look at you and she'll go, afternoon, how are you? It's a nice day out today, isn't it? I said, well, Lori, it's a little hot in here because the air is not working. She goes, it doesn't bother me, Pastor. This is my place. This is where God has put me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And if we had not said yes when God said, come on over here, Now she would still be in her darkness and her pain and her sorrow. And somebody in your community and somebody in your circle of influence and somebody God's going to bump you into next week and somebody needs for you to say yes when God says, come on over here now. They need the joy that you possess and they need the peace that you possess and they need the power that you possess. And you, listen, God's going to do what God's going to do. Please don't misunderstand me this morning. If God wanted to build a city of refuge in Atlanta, he'd have built it with or without me. This is not about us. This is about God. But what would have happened if we'd have said no, somebody else would have got all of our blessing. Somebody else would have got all of our Rufuses and all of our lorries and all of our tennies along the way. Somebody else would have got to tell those stories. Somebody else would have been the one that gets to celebrate that. And I would have had a good life and things would have been fine and I'd have never known what I missed. And I don't want any of us in the room to miss what God has planned for us. Do you? I don't want us to miss the opportunities to do all that he's called us to do. I believe God's saying to us, come on over here, listen, do what you have to do. And it's not based on our talent, not based on our skill, not based on our experience. I didn't have any experience in the inner city. We used to go down and pass out some food and clothes and go back home. That didn't prepare me for what we've been doing for the last 22 years. I didn't have that experience. When these people started coming to our church... So all these people that live lives, lives of crisis, the hat, Dismas Halfway House is right up the street from where the original church was, and that's where guys get rid guys, It's a men's uh, second program after prison, so they get released It's a halfway house. They go from jail to the Dismas House. Dismas House partnered with us, and they would send these guys to church. And so the guys would come to church. They gave them an opportunity to get out of the Dismas House for a while. They had to, they, they said, you got to sign a bulletin. I go, well, we don't do a bulletin. So I had to just take a piece of paper and write my name on it and say he was in church. And so we got to know a bunch of people through the Dismas. House, so all of them been in jail. We got a bunch of people that are out of jail, out of the, out of the second phase of it, that are coming to church. People that have been, in, we you know, the girls used to ask me, somebody new would come to church, They go look them up. Well, that wasn't social media, that was look them up on the Georgia Department of Corrections website, right? See how many times they've been arrested. So what they've been arrested for? You know, and so we got all the funny stories. You know, Eddie was arrested 84 times, Vernon 47 times, Billy 39 times, and out and uh, and um, and Vernon. Eddie, Alvin, Billy, and Vernon, all of them been arrested at least 25 times. They're brothers. All four brothers still live with their mama, all crack addicts, alcoholics. And the funniest thing when I looked them up was all of their aliases were their brothers' names, which just made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Alvin Blackman, alias, Eddie, Alvin, Vernon. I mean, Eddie, Billy, Vernon. I'm like, what in the world? Anyway... And they're the ones that introduced me. You know, we, we in the hood. We got all kind of funny stuff in the hood. Everybody has a nickname no matter how old you are. So their nieces were uh, Fat Mama and Miss Johnson. And they were three and five. And that's their nickname, Fat Mama and Miss Johnson. Who names a three-year-old Fat Mama and a five-year-old Miss Johnson? But anyway, so we just had all these fun experiences. So all these people in our service every Sunday that have been arrested. And so they liked me, but I still wasn't quite one of them, right? I'm still the, the white preacher from the suburbs come down to the hood to hang out. And so one day there was an altercation on campus between me and another individual that turned physical. And so the cops showed up and, uh, and they arrested the other individual and put him in the car. And, they, and, and it was a, an, the female officer looked at me and she goes, well, we're arresting you too. And I go, huh, excuse me? And she goes, yeah. She said, there were marks on both your faces and I can't really tell who did what. So we'll arrest, we're arresting you and going to let the judge figure it out. And I go all right so she writes out my arrest warrants about to put me in a t- walking outside and and a staff sergeant shows up and she he goes ho 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 what are you doing and she said well i'm arresting he said you're not arresting the preacher and she said yes i am and he said, well, you're under arrest, Bruce. He said, but we're going to release you on your own recognizance. said, and be at court at 9 o'clock in the morning. So they arrested me, gave me an arrest warrant. I was in court at 9 o'clock the next morning. Thankfully, the judge just missed the case against me, so that was good news. But the word got out among our church people and among the street people that the preacher had been arrested. And the next Sunday when I walked in church, when I walked up on stage to preach, half my congregation stood up like, I said, man, if I'd known I just need to get arrested once to get street cred, I could have done this a long time ago. Right? So now I try to get arrested about every three years just to keep it going, you know? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> these opportunities, it's not about where we've been, it's not about what we've done, it's about what God sees in us that we can't see in ourselves. Right? Rhonda will look at me every now and then, and she's just this she's a loving, caring, warm, affirming wife. Most of the time. And now, with the place that God's got us and with a bunch of cool stuff that's happened and places I've spoken and all this, it's just crazy what God's done. Every now and then, Ron will look at me and she'll just go, I just didn't know you had it in you. And I'm like, Well, I tried to tell you forever, you know. But anyway, we don't know what's in us. We don't know what God's placed in us. We don't know what we can do if we would just submit ourselves to Him and move forward. And so I believe God's saying in this community today, I think he's saying to this church and to churches and to businesses and to corporations and to individuals, come over here now. I got something I want to do for your community. I got something I want to do for your county. I got something I want to do for your town. I got something I want to do for individuals who find themselves in trouble. Come over here because I have heard the cry of my people and I have heard their groans and I have seen their plight. And I believe that God has spoken clearly to Joe and Kelly. Years ago, Joe and Kelly and I started working together. Rhonda, they were on our youth leadership team here when I was on staff here as youth pastor. As were a bunch of other people in the room. I'll never forget Gina Hanks. With I handed her a cup. Um, we, we we were staying at a not very clean environment on a youth trip one on a youth trip one time, and and we were having. Uh, I I was generous. I gave everybody too many chocolate donuts and a cup of milk for breakfast. I thought it was plenty, but anyway. Uh, Gina, I handed her a cup of milk, and as she took it, she didn't realize that there were about, we'd put six little baby mice in that cup, and if you know Gina, you know how that went, so anyway, uh, she nearly had a stroke, and I ran for about a mile, um, but, but during that time, Joe and Kelly and I got to be good friends in Rhonda. And, and Joe's been a part of the Rock, you know, the Rock Youth Center for years now. They've been leading that, a bunch of volunteers. And we've been talking for a number of years about that becoming part of City of Refuge. And so City of Refuge now has five locations in Georgia. We have the, the location in Hopewell that Pastor referenced. We have Chicago and Baltimore, Cincinnati. We're opening this year in Dallas, Texas. So the Lord is doing incredible things. Jeff's been leading our City of Refuge ministry in Jamaica for more than 20 years. We have a City of Refuge affiliate in Dominican Republic and so we just said you know maybe it's time and so I believe the Lord is inviting all of us to join hands and hearts and time and talent and resources together to make that dream become a reality amen and so I believe that that's the right thing Joe's been coming to Atlanta they've been a mentorship with us and I believe he's calling us and I believe he's calling you to go with them right and and some of you are saying but I don't know what to give I don't know what I have I don't know what I have that would be of value And so I want to share this little thing in closing this morning that Kelsey wrote about her work in House of Cherith and what takes place in the anti-trafficking program. And hopefully to help us understand that it's not about something huge, but it's about simple obedience along the way. She wrote this little thing. It's simply called a bag of frozen peas. I've never really been a huge fan of peas. Those tiny green balls stuffed full of squishy slime just never seemed that appealing to me. Now don't get me wrong, I love most vegetables, sautéed peppers and onions, crispy and crunchy carrots and salt sprinkled cucumber still make my taste buds dance. Those tiny bright green spheres on the other hand have absolutely zero chance of making it onto my plate or into my naturally loud mouth. My five foot six inch spunky mother did her best to encourage my four sisters and me to eat this disgusting vegetable, bless her heart. She would use reverse psychology, bribery, and would spew phrases of encouragement and failed attempts of, adding, of aiding and abetting the criminal that stocked the Kroger produce shelves with these dreadful peas in the first place. I vaguely remember her claiming I would grow to appreciate these fresh, healthy, green veggies one day while at the same time resigning herself to the fact that I had unfortunately for her inherited my father's stubborn nature. On February 20, 2015, sprinting through the eight-foot gates and collapsing at the security shack wearing nothing but an oversized filthy white t-shirt that draped down just above her kneecaps, Emma arrived on the campus at City of Refuge with quite the bang. Large clumps of her dark brown hair matted with, matted with blood and other patches missing entirely. Her left eye barely cracked open under dark bruises and severe swelling, lips puffier than I'd seen in my 21 short, 23 short years of life, fresh blood trickling down her chin and neck, dropping onto her already bloodied T-shirt. Her first words breathlessly cast in my direction still echo in my mind, Help me, please help me, he's coming for me. If you let him take me, I'll be dead before dinner. Held hostage on one of the busiest Atlanta streets, Emma was sold for sex multiple times each night for over seven months. If she dared to deny a client services, she was severely whipped and beaten. Graphic scenes that would make horror films shudder became her reality. Spurred into action by the severity of the situation and the imminent threat of an an armed pimp uh, showing onto campus in search of what he disgustingly deemed to be his property, the security and I Guard and I gently yet hurriedly ushered Emma through the door and down the hallway to her new bedroom in our safe house. Stepping into her new bedroom, Emma collapsed, sobbing, shrieking, and shaking. She had finally mas- mustered the bravery to run barefoot through the streets of Atlanta in hopes of finding freedom from her high school sweetheart turned pimp. Quickly gathering fresh undergarments, new clothing, and hygiene items for Emma. I was reeling from her story, filled with anger, heartbreak, and utter disgust that one human could put another through this severe injustice. Wanting to cry and cuss at the same time, the dam behind my eyes ready to break and release tears at any moment, my tongue stinging from being bitten to prevent emotion-filled words from spilling out. Snatching the first aid kit from the top shelf in the pantry... I flew into the kitchen and flung the freezer open, grabbing the first cold bag my small hands touched. Sitting next to Emma, she rested her tender head on my lap, her body rising and falling with each softened sob. A smile smile snuck across my freckled face as I placed the bag of frozen vegetables gently on Emma's busted lip, a bag of peas. Mama was right. She's always right. On February 20th, 2015, sitting next to Injustice's latest target, I came to a revelation. In that moment, that real and raw emotion-filled moment, I realized why those tiny, bright green peas weren't quite as dreadful as I thought they were in middle school. As I held that cold bag to a bloodied, swollen, and busted lip, Emma whispered, You are the first person that has ever made me feel safe. Thank you for helping me become free. My tears turned from those of rage to tears of hope. She was finally safe. She was, in fact, finally free. To this day, I still strongly dislike peas, the taste, the smell, the texture, everything about them. However, these little peas provided me an opportunity to be with Emma during her most vulnerable moments. They allowed me to show her what safety, love, and acceptance felt like without having to utter a single word. These peas reminded me that where there is darkness, there is an immense opportunity for light. Sometimes we doubt our calling or purpose. Sometimes we overcomplicate serving others. Sometimes we question our abilities and qualifications. But sometimes light, hope, and transformation start simply with a little bag of frozen peas. So I don't know what your bag of frozen peas looks like this morning. I don't know what little small possession or talent or gift or ability you might have that can impact somebody else's life. I, I, I'm not asking you today to, to become the life changer for everybody we will ever encounter in through City Refuge Ministry in Pulaski. I'm not asking you to lead the way. I'm not asking you to bring some new revelation to us. If any of that happens, we will be extremely grateful and embrace it all. All I'm asking you to do this morning is to dream a little bigger and to pray a little more intense, to weep a little longer, and then to get up and do a little more. To put your hand to the plow, to plant some seed, to pull some weeds, to paint a wall to mentor and tutor a child, to sit with somebody that's looking to elevate their employment opportunities, get a better paying job, to help somebody learn how to do their, to study for their GED or their ACT or SAT if they're in high school, to sit with a single mom and help figure out a plan for housing that will put her in a safe and affordable environment so her kids can thrive and flourish along the way. To be light and hope and transformation in whatever way, with whatever gift, and whatever talent, Father God has given you. I believe with all of my heart that if we could hear Father's voice this morning, He is still saying the same thing He said in Exodus chapter 7. He is still saying, I have seen the plight and the brokenness and the weariness of my people. He is still saying, I hear their cries and their groans, I see them in the night when nobody else sees. I believe he's still saying, I have come down to deliver them, to bring them the promise that tomorrow can be better than yesterday. I believe he's still saying those things. And I also believe that he is saying to you and I, as his created beings, come over here now. Come over here. And some of you say, but Bruce, I, I, I got my own places of brokenness. I got my own places of poverty. I got my own places of struggle. I, I, Bruce, you don't understand. Listen, I know I don't, but I do know that in Isaiah chapter 58, the prophets, the Lord speaking through the prophet, says this, I, I have not asked you to do this public fast and to wail out loud and to sit in sackcloth and ashes. This is the fast that I have required of you that you divide your bread with the hungry and that you take into your house the homeless poor and that you break the yoke of bondage in the lives of those around you. And then he says this, now listen. He says, if you do this, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're tired, even when you're weary, if you do these things, he says, then your healing will quickly come and your light will rise as a noonday sun and you will be as a well-watered garden. Our healing often comes as we share healing with others. Our hope often comes as we speak hope to others. Our blessing often reveals itself as we bless others, not just out of our abundance, but sometimes out of our need. And so we're going to ask you to participate. I think the ushers have a card maybe. is that, Are we passing out a card, Pastor? Is that... So the ushers are going to pass out some cards now. We'd love for you to sign up and say, Hey, I want to support City of Refuge Pulaski at X amount per month, right? Or a one-time gift, however you want to do that. The ushers are also going to come and give you an opportunity. And pastor asked me to receive this offering. I don't normally receive offerings when I speak somewhere. but, But for you to give this morning, we'd love for you to be generous in that. So as I say a prayer this morning to wrap our time together, would you ask Holy Spirit, what do I have? Do I have some extra financial means I can write a check or put some cash in the bucket this morning to help Joe and what he's doing here and what's going to happen over the coming months and years? Do you have a resource you can give? We'd love for you to do that. Ron and I support this. We support City of Refuge Pulaski personally. Right? And and, and listen, I, I don't want you to be upset with me, but I'm going to confess something to you this morning. I don't know, it was four or five years ago maybe I spoke here when Pastor uh, Travis was still here and, and before the building burned. And, and I spoke here on a, on, a I think it was a Sunday. Anyway, I spoke and Pastor took up an offering. And you guys were incredibly generous. $10,000 in the offering that day, Pastor. amazing. On Monday, I wrote a check to City of Refuge. Oh, I actually wrote a check to the Rock Youth Center that I knew was eventually going to be City of Refuge Pulaski for $10,000. You you invested in your own community without even knowing it, right? So that money that you gave three or four years ago has helped support the ministry that's been taking place here all along the way, right? And so I, I just want us to do this together. Ron and I are going to be a part of it personally. The city of refuge in Atlanta is going to be a part of it organizationally. And I think it's right for those of us who live and abide here to be a part. And we've talked to a bunch of pastors and a bunch of churches. We don't want this to be something that's only represented by one church in Pulaski County. We want 20 or 30 or 40 churches involved. And I've already met with a bunch of pastors, and a bunch of them are in. And I'm very grateful to Pastor for your generosity and your willingness to walk this journey together. So would you consider what your gift could be? They pass out the cards. You can sign up for the, the monthly support. It's hugely important. We'll also do an offering in a moment. Father, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that when we were in bondage and when we were broken and when we were weary and worn out, you said about us, I've heard your cry. I've seen your plight. I know about you, Bruce. I know about you. And you came down in the form of your son. You said to your son, come over here now. And you sent him to the cross for all of us. And for that, we're extremely grateful. And I thank you that your word this morning is powerful. It's effective, and it does not work. And I thank you that this morning, I believe that has happened by your spirit. And I thank you for this house. I thank you for the leadership, for Pastor Don and for his team, and the way they lead effectively and passionately, the way they care about this community. And I thank you for the sons and daughters of God who sat on these chairs this morning that are considering now what they can do to be a part of the City Refuge Pulaski and changing lives and making this community all that you created it to be. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in all that we do as we invest our time, talent, and treasure. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Pastor, I'm going to invite you to come if you would, please. And uh, there's going to be an opportunity to give momentarily. Uh, it's, I don't want this to sound like self-promotion. Our book was released last week, two weeks ago, Tuesday. We've got some downstairs. Some of you have already bought it. I'm glad to sign those. If you want a book, they're downstairs. Some of my girls will be there. Feel free to stop by the table down there. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with us this morning. Bless you, Pastor. Thank you.